to start is right around 1900. Uh, the reason why, as you can see, this, these two maps here, obviously California, and then this circle area right here is uh, a little bit blown up. Obviously, downtown Los Angeles. Everybody, some of you maybe have been to LAX, the airport, yeah? <laughs> and you can kind of get an idea of kind of the quick drawing I did, including this whale. Uh, obviously, Catalina Island. If you know, for those that are into jazz, you might know the song Avalon. It's written out in this town right here in Catalina Island, which Benny Goodman uh, discovered Lionel Hampton here. Anyways, 1900. Life, uh, Los Angeles actually had a public transportation system. Um, and basically, it was electric. And in 1900, what we call the Pacific Electric Company. The Pacific Electric was a public transportation system. And from downtown Los Angeles, it came straight down here to the, this, is, this little area right here. 1902, it came down here. 1904 to Huntington Beach Pier. This is Orange County here. My spelling is very bad. Huntington Beach. And finally, all the way to the Balboa Peninsula here. Every two years, they took it farther and farther. As well, it came out straight west over here to Venice Beach. So we have a general public transportation system taking us to the beach cities. The popular thing to do back at that time was to jump on the, the trolley and take it down to wherever the beaches were. Every July 4th is when they opened each one of these, these places as it traveled down. And so there is major ballrooms in each one of these locations every time they extended it. Not to mention we had what we call piers. We had Venice Pier, Santa Monica Pier, we had, we had many piers, including here in Redondo Beach, we had what's called the Horseshoe Pier. Each pier that stuck out had a ballroom either at the base of it, at the beach, or out on the pier. And basically, what we have here, as you can tell, way down here, is where the Rendezvous Ballroom was which is where, obviously, the Balboa is from. The rendezvous ballroom, however, did not open up until the late 20s. And it was made because of the overcrowdedness. Everybody would come down here, and it would be so crowded at each one of these locations that they would actually build and make it so it was more uh, publicly accessible as well as comfortable for a, a lot of dancers. Um, the distance here, between here and here, actually took over an hour to get to in the public transportation. It's a, it's a very long distance. Today, we can probably drive from here to here uh, with no traffic, closer to 40 minutes or so. Uh, well, if you've been to Los Angeles in this area, with traffic, maybe three or four hours. <laughs> but, but you understand that uh, this is very far away from this area, even though today it is with modern cars and so forth, it's a little more accessible. This line right here is Orange County, and this is Los Angeles County. At this time, all during the, the early part of the century, when they first opened the, the public transportation, 
many of you have heard of the Babel Pavilion. The Babel Pavilion was a building that was over on this side of the peninsula. This is nothing more than maybe, it's a very short walk if you want to walk from one side of the peninsula to the other. The pavilion was the building built for the public, the, for, the, for the red car to go into. And then you were an exit, of course, uh, and get off the train. The pavilion was the, the building made at that time. So it's a very, very old building, and it's still used today occasionally for dances. At the time, all during the teens and early 20s, of course, there was no such thing as Jitterbug or Lindy Hop or anything of the sort. It was primarily one-step foxtrot. It's, it's very, very, um, I guess you could say, society dances. And because of the overpopularity of the, the pavilion, it could not hold very many people. In the late 20s, they decided to build the rendezvous ballroom to, to hold more dancers. So like all of these other piers, what we have is they built a pier, uh, a ballroom, at the base of the pier. Uh, right off, literally, off the, right next to the sand, we have the rendezvous ballroom. So there's the pier, it's still there today. And now, today, there's nothing there except for a, a stone marker to tell you where the rendezvous ballroom is. We have this whole area. During the 20s, as well, um, was the largest migration in North America was during the 20s of people moving out west to Southern California area. During the 1920s was the largest migration in North American history. Um, and what we had was simply an overcrowded situation of people taking this public transportation here as well as people moving out here, which is all, uh, it's famous for its uh, orange groves. That's why it's called Orange County. And so we had so many people moving to this area as well as all the tourists coming from Los Angeles as well to overcrowd the rendezvous bar. So what we had was uh, a situation where the dancers were so crowded that they really could not move. And the ballroom came up with rules. And one rule was no breaking from your partner. And it became a point to where no traveling as well. So they could fit more people in the ballroom. <laughs> before fire codes, uh, before we had laws for fire safety for people. We can't even say this is the reason why we have fire safety. At that time, we, did, we had ballrooms in Chicago, uh, as well as a couple other ballrooms around America that actually did burn down and kill a lot of people. Um, so that was the, this is how dance became about the shuffle. We basically had people doing a foxtrot, which we call, or a two-step, coming to a standstill in the ballroom, uh, doing the same steps, and they just came to a stop to where they, all they could do was stand and just, this is a nice floor, by the way. <laughs> and it, it is said that you could fit 5,000 people in the rendezvous ball. Yeah, that's a lot of people. Um, and so that's what we really have as far as the Balboa is concerned. Um, at first, it was just a, a basic step that you did. Everybody did, as a matter of fact. And um, there was no name for it. It was just doing the step that you always would do, but you did it in a way because of the fact that it was so crowded, you had no choice but to dance in one spot. Um, the owner of the rendezvous ballroom uh, was actually not even a Babo dancer. He was what's called a slicker dancer, 
which is a type of a traveling dance, or like a foxtrot, but you travel, but you slide the whole time. Um, and it's a, it was a very popular dance at one point during the 20s and 30s, where you travel around the floor, but you're sliding and sh with your feet. The, um, that was the owner of the rendezvous. And because of the fact that this, we had this crowded space, they had signs up that said, no uh, opening, no breaking away. That means you had to dance body to body. You could not even dance out like this. You had to dance in closed position only. Like many of the ballrooms in Los Angeles area, as well as Orange County, Huntington Beach Ballroom, Cinderella Ballroom here, there was ballrooms all over. Unlike the East Coast, for instance, like, uh, like Harlem. We all know the story about the Lindy Hop and the Savoy being the epicenter for the Lindy Hop, um, Roseland Ballroom and so forth. We had so many ballrooms built during the 20s and early 30s to, to meet the needs of this huge migration from the eastern coast of America and the Midwest to Los Angeles area. We had ballrooms everywhere. And the rule was, it was very much about making money, of course. And so, they wanted to stick as many people as possible in these ballrooms. And so it was very frowned upon in the beginning if you did anything like a swing type of thing. As the uh, early 30s started to roll in, people started to do uh, up here, obviously, in the jazz era, in the 20s, um, they were doing the Charleston. But the, the younger generation was doing the Charleston up in the Los Angeles area because this is where most people live, in this area. And so the young people were doing the Charleston <coughs> as well as different dances, of course. But it was primarily the adults that would actually take these longer journeys to get down to places like here. And so up here is where we had, obviously, uh, Lionel Hampton, I'll use popular names that you may be familiar with, moving to Los Angeles in the, in the late 20s. Uh, one of the great bands at that time was Paul Howard's uh, Serenaders, which was Lionel Hampton's band, but this is before Lionel Hampton <coughs> played the vibes. He was still on the drums at the time. So as the, as the, up here in the big city, as we call it, by the way, I'll put right about here, we have Hollywood. Um, right here in the, what we call, the, I guess you would call it the big city compared to here, uh, we had people doing all sorts of different dances. Uh, obviously, the Black Bottom, the Charleston, and so forth. And as the music changed from the, the 20s into the early 30s, and the rhythm changed, the dance changed up here. So, because of this change of rhythm, from uh, what we would call it maybe a two-beat rhythm to a 4-4 four -four rhythm, um, the dance changed, as we just said. And the kids, taking that Charleston steps, started doing swing. They're just swinging their Charleston. While down here, they're still shuffling in closed position. Up here, the younger generation is all doing, they started doing what we call swing dancing. The first swing contest that I know of in, is 1932, Venice Beach. Venice High School, right here, 1932. And it was at a high school, and the con it was a swing contest. And the winners of that contest were high school kids, and it was actually a, uh, uh, a, a white guy dancing with a black girl. Um, so again, we have what's called, you know, swing to them was just taking that basic uh, Charleston steps and starting to change the rhythm. Uh, Charleston is more than just a, a step, it's a rhythm as well.
Um, I you know the musicians in here already know that, but for, uh, for those that are not familiar with it, is um, Charleston has a, a very distinctive beat to it. And um, they took that bop, bop, that one, two, three, bop, bop, and they started swinging that same step, <laughs> thus creating what we call swing, or today, bow swing, uh, which I'll get into in a little while. Um, so here we have Venice Beach, we have all these little beach cities in here. Um, we have a very famous dance troupe from Los Angeles at that time called the Ray Ran Dancers. Uh, it was a gentleman by the name of Ray Randazzle. He was an uh, Italian immigrant, and his full name was Ray Randazzle, but he changed it to Ray Ran. Um, and uh, he, like, like Lindy Hoppers, like, the, like Whitey Lindy Hoppers, Ray Ran was kind of like Herbert White in that he saw some very great dancers at his ballroom. And so what he decided to do was take these dancers that were very good and start hiring them out for performances at private parties and so forth. Every night of the week, you could dance in a different ballroom. Tuesday night was at the Diana Ballroom, which is a dance that Ray Rand put on. Ray Rand was a, a Balboa dancer, and uh, this would be 19, actually, 36. And that he started this dance at the Diana Ballroom on Tuesday nights. And dancers would come from all over to go to the Diana Ballroom. From Venice Beach, from Redondo Beach, Palos Verdes area, from East Los Angeles, which would be this side of Los Angeles, where Willie Desitoff is from, Maxi Dorf is from here, Hal Tekir is from here, Venna Archer, Johnny Archer. All the dancers would come to the Diana Ballroom because that is where the best dancers would be at. These young dancers, who I've mentioned, and I'm sure you've heard of some of them, Maxi Dorf and so forth, at the time, they had no idea what was going on down here. Uh, the popular dance, as a matter of fact, down in the beach cities, this area along the whole coast, this is, again, like I said, there's many, many, many ballrooms, and each night there would be something else, a different band in all of these ballrooms. So it was like today, you would call your friends or find out where your friends are going to go and who they're going to see, and then you would go to these different ballrooms. The dancers from this side of Los Angeles, along the beach cities here, from 1934, 35, and a little bit of 36, the dance that they did was called the Jig Trot. The Jig Trot was a dance that for the younger teenagers, they'd like to do the Jig Trot. It looks like the Babola, it's body to body, except it was done to very fast music and you can do anything with your feet very fast. And so they would have jig trot contests almost every single night. You could find jig trot contests at one of these ballrooms here. And in the jig trot, the basic rules was as long as you stay in body to body position, you can do anything with your feet. You can kick as much as you want or do anything uh, as flashy as you can. Um, it's a very similar uh, timing, I guess you could say, to the Baboa, but it's a completely different look because it's teenagers trying to be as flashy as possible to win the competition. As, um, basically, as, as time went on, these particular dancers all came together, as I mentioned, and they became part of the, the Ray Rand dancers. And they started to uniform the dance uh, slightly, just a little bit. By that I mean <coughs> they would share steps and share ideas and actually work on and actually dancing. Uh, until that time, Dancers such as Lawrence Lolly Wise, who was a very good friend of mine, uh, Hal, and all these dancers, when they would go to these ballrooms, 
a lot of the times they would just go in the beginning and watch the other dancers. And they would see the steps and see what they're doing, and then they would go home and practice until they were good enough to be in public and be seen in public. Um, and it was people like Wally Wise uh, who actually started, he was probably the first one to ever do a spin in the dance, or what we call a throw-out. Anyways, as we go into the swing era, 1936, um, up here in this area, uh, where's my Hollywood? Here's my Hollywood. We have, on 3rd in Vermont, we have a, a ballroom by the name of the Palomar Ballroom. And it becomes very famous because this is the place Benny Goodman played in 1935, which, as some historians say, started the swing era, 1935. Um, I know people that were at that particular concert in 1935. And um, for those of you who have seen the Benny Goodman story, um, uh, you, you might be familiar with this ballroom, uh, but the dancers really liked the hot music. When Benny first came to, to Los Angeles and played at the Palomar Ballroom, um, as some of you might know, you heard the story, he played his standard charts, not his hot stuff that he got from Fletcher Henderson. And it wasn't until he started playing his Fletcher Henderson charts that the crowd went crazy for him. So we have this whole concept of swing dancing, which the media called jitterbugging. But jitterbugging was not a dance. It was a person, and it was an umbrella term. Uh, to describe what the young kids were doing to swing music. That's what jitterbug was. Jitterbugs could do, jitterbugs did the lindy hop, they did the bow swing stuff, they did shag, they did jig trot, they mixed up everything, trucking, pecking, it was all considered jitterbug by the media. Also, the this, this same year, 1935, a gentleman by the name of Connie Wydell drove all the way to Los Angeles from Minnesota in a green a cord automobile, and he was the first one that these all of these dancers saw do the shag. You can see him in the, uh, the beach clip. The beach clip is filmed right here in Venice Beach. Uh, so for the first time they saw the dance called the shag, what Connie called uh, Chicago shag at that time. Uh, so we have now, we have even more complete dance being that now there's an, int an introduction to this dance called the Shag. They had never seen this dance called the Shag before. So these dancers who were jitterbugs, the Ray Ram dancers who were doing swing, started sticking all these different influences into their dance. Two years later, 1937, we have Dean Collins come from New York bringing the Lindy Hop. And again, the same dancers take the D Dean Collins' Lindy steps and put them in there and swing. Now, the most important thing here is the, to realize is that these dancers were obviously teenagers, first off, and second, it was there was contests almost every single night of the week somewhere in this area. Um, one of the ways, the most important way to win a contest at that time was to be different than the rest of the crowds. The original was the most important thing in your dancing. And so they started integrating all of these different steps into swing. <clears throat> As the swing era moved on, uh, the Dean Collins, who was spreading his dance, the Lindy Hop, of course, uh, it became more and more popular. Uh, by 19, late 1939 into <coughs> 1940, the new generation of dancers 
who were just learning how to dance were learning straight, Lindy. 
very small situation dance. And it was only just, it was only called the Baboa by the people from this area. Just like when Dean Collins first came to Los Angeles in 1937 and they first saw the Lady Hop, the dancers here, they called it the New Yorker. Because they knew it was from New York. So these dancers eventually, they put that label on it as being the Baboa. And because they were doing the shuffle step, they called it the Baboa Shuffle. There was also a different dance up in Los Angeles called just the Shuffle, which is a different dance than the Baboa Shuffle. So we have these different areas and all these different, these different steps. By 1940, uh, I'm sorry, let me back up again. In 1939, the Palomar Ballroom burned down during a Charlie Barnett concert, halftime. They were taking a band break and uh, basically, well, it doesn't matter, but ballroom burned down, so no more Palomar. And in replace the Palomar Ballroom, not too far away, they built the Hollywood Palladium. Um, the Hollywood Palladium opened up, uh, I don't know the exact date, uh, 1940 though, and it was with Tommy Dorsey and his orchestra, and it became the epicenter for big band dancing in the Los Angeles, Hollywood area. And we started to see more dancers coming from this area dancing because of bands like the big bands, Tommy Dorsey, Lionel Hampton, the big names coming from all over America. When you have such a big name, of course, people are going to travel from everywhere to come and see these really popular name bands. And so, when you looked at this, if you were in the back of the ballroom, looking at the stage, if you were looking at the stage at the Palladium, if this is the, the stage, what you have is all the Balboa dancers coming from this Orange County area, staying together close, because they were familiar with each other's dance styles, and they knew if they stayed together, they would be safer. So the Balboa dancers would stay over here. Over here, on this side of the stage, was all the Ray Ranch dancers and jitterbugs. That would include the Lindy dancers, as well as all of the swing dancers. <clears throat> this side of the stage, this side of the stage. These were the younger dancers, of course, that were doing the fancy steps, the aerials, the slides, the slip-outs, and so forth. The rest of the ballroom, 5,000 people were doing the foxtrot. A lot of the pictures you see at that time, this would all be military people in many, many, many pictures. And when you walked in the ballroom, the first thing you saw was this huge sea of people. For you to dance here, you had to earn the right to dance there with the best dancers. I'm talking about 1941 now, 42 or so. And so we have this very, very diverse group of jitterbugs doing all kinds of steps from the Dean Collins Lindy, which he brought from Harlem, uh, all the jig trot style, we have everything mixed up with these dancers right here. One of the, the greatest competition dancers that ever lived is Hal, I mentioned the name Hal Takir, Hal and Betty. The reason why is because when they looked at all these little clubs and ballrooms, and again, there would be contests every night of the week, and there would be two, three contests on the same night. Hal and Betty would look which one has the most money to win. That was number one for Hal and Betty. They didn't want trophies. Trophies were worthless. They wanted money. Uh, 
contest would be maybe five, ten dollars. Fifteen would be a really big contest at that time. So Hal and Betty would look at the, all the information for where all the contests are, which one is the most money, and that's the competition they would go and try to win. And they would win. Everybody else who was competing at that time would say, oh, there's a contest tonight, we're going to go compete. The first question they ask is, where is Hal and Betty going to be at? <laughs> because we're going over here. Nobody wanted to compete against Hal and Betty because they would lose. Dean Collins from Harlem, the, uh, I should say he learned to dance in Harlem, from New York, him and Hal were uh, a rivalry from the very beginning all the way through because Dean Collins had seen the best in the world, the Lindy Hoppers in Harlem in the Savoy, Whitey's Lindy Hoppers. Dean liked to give credit to Al Mims. And Dean, knowing what the Whitey's and what the Harlem dancers were all about, and seeing how, he always would try to beat how, but he could not beat how. So Dean Collins and how, even though they were rivals, Dean Collins respected how, respected how that even though they were rivals, it was a lifelong friendship that was a bond that was never broken. But at the same time, it was very frustrating for Dean Collins because Dean had knew what it took to win competitions and so forth. And so at the same time, even though there was that rivalry, there was a, a respect there. And Dean Collins started putting on competitions as well. And Dean Collins obviously had his students as well that he taught the Lindy to. People like Lenny Smith, uh, people like uh, Lou Southern, and uh, Wally Albright would probably be the most three famous of uh, Dean's students, of the leaders. Um, Dean would put these competitions on, and of course his students would get in the competition. And then Dean would call up Hal and say, come and compete in my competition. Of course, Hal knew, no, 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 no. This is not how you're going to ever beat me, you know. And so this, this competition aspect of, of tempo is really became the most important thing in the dance. We have the tempos, when they were slower, they would do the lindy hop. Ah, slower tempo meaning... Ah, it could be around 200 to 230, 240. The Ray Ran dancers at this time had all learned the Lindy Hop, the Lindy Step that Dean knew as well, so they could implement it into their social dance as well as slower dancing. However, when the music got fast, they would go back to their old swing, their bow swing, and mix it in there so they could dance much faster, longer, and more comfortable at faster tempos. So during a competition, when they're all doing this, the dance, keep in mind at this time the competitions were not a special dance competition. They didn't say just do this dance or do this dance. They said it's a jitterbug dance. You can do whatever you want. Um, one of the famous advertisements would say, uh, uh, you know, a jitterbug contest. Come see the Ray Ran Swing, the Lindy Hop, Truckin', Susie Q, Peckin'. And so, jitterbug competitions, you could do any of these dances. It did not matter. It's, uh, it was based upon who was the best or who was the most original still. For instance, Connie Wydell would be in these competitions as well. But all he would do is just the shag. And he would be competing against all these other dances and dance styles. But these Beach City dancers, the Ray Ran dancers, in the competitions, they would take money out of their wallet 
and sneak it to the band leader during the competition to play fast, <laughs> real fast. <laughs> these dancers, these Rayoran dancers, very, very proud of their dance and the style in which they did in the dance. I'm talking about Maxi Dorf, Hal Takir, Lolly Wise, and Gil Fernandez. Those four dancers were very proud of their dance. It is the fastest dance in the world to them, and they are willing to prove it in a friendly way. It was all very friendly. Um, it was not uh, anything serious. It was a very friendly thing, but they were very proud of their dance form, and it was like they had a chip on their shoulder, and they were willing to, to prove it. And uh, so they learned all these other dances. Of course they did. But they still had their old style of swing which we call Bowsley today. So for these dancers, these other dances called the Shag and the Lily Hop became just a step in their bow swing. And how to cure, who I mentioned before, started going to the, obviously back then, going to the movies. And in the movies, guess who they saw in 1937? They saw Day of the Races, the Whitey's Lily Hoppers. And they saw the air steps areas. So how started putting air steps in his swing, just like all the other swing dancers. They all started putting that, and they would do is, they watch the movie, and they would sit through the whole movie, and watch the movie again, just to see the dance part. So this was the generation of swing dancers. After this generation, there was no more new dancers learning their dance. They were learning the more popular dance, the Lindy, which was making a big hit during World War II. The Lindy, like I said, although it first came to Los Angeles first by Dean in 37, it became the most popular dance by 39, 40, and 41. We start seeing it in all kinds of movies. Um, I think Dean Collins is probably the most filmed Lindy dancer in history by far. I can't, I don't know exactly how many movies he did because Every time I say a number, I discover a new movie. Uh, but it's well over 40 movies he did the Lindy in, in just the short time of 40 to 45. So we have this, this, this dance, which I've mentioned, uh, is what they called swing. In the newspapers, they called it Randy Swing, after Ray, Rand, Ray Randazzle. It basically, the first time we know of it, 32, by World War II, it was already fading away because of the more the social tempos of the sound of the Big Band era going into World War II. We obviously hear the stories about Glenn Miller and Tommy Dorsey, and the more, uh, I guess you could say, the slower tempos of World War II, uh, from 40 to 45. The tempos dropped for social dancing a lot compared to the 30s, which was a little more up-tempo. Okay, so basically, what we have is these dancers, of course they kept doing their dance all through history. They kept doing it. They, they did. But they had it, they mixed it with the Lindy when they social dance. And from 1945, I would say the dance for the most part ended, except for them who continued to do the dance. It wasn't until 1961, Disneyland, Carnation Plaza, they opened up the big bands. They hired Benny Goodman to play at Disneyland in 1961. And all of the swing era dancers came together for the first time since the swing era under the same roof. And they remembered each other. 
Dean remembered so-and-so, and they shook hands, and they became friends again in 1961 was the first time they were reunited. And for the first time, we have the Balboa dancers who didn't want anything to do with the jitterbugs, dancing in the same small area with these dancers for the first time in 1961, uh, without the 5,000 fox trotters anymore. <laughs> 1961 in Disneyland, Anaheim, which is right <coughs> there. Because of Benny Goodman and the dance floor, it was a very, the Carnegie Plaza is very small. It's as big as this room. And so for the first time, we have all the dancers on top of each other, really close. And talking about the swing era, sometimes they would recognize one another by the face. Maybe sometimes they did not, but they shared stories. But it was the first time that these two different types of dancers came together. And because of this camaraderie, or this relationship of going back in time, they started sharing steps and mixing up these dances of Lindy, Swing, and the Babo. So, from, from 61 all the way until we can say mm, the late 70s, we have these dancers kind of hanging out together. And then they started other dances when they were much older at a couple different restaurants. We have one called Bobby Gee's, which is a chain restaurant. Uh, there was one in Newport Beach, there was one in Long Beach, and there was one out here in, in, in Brea, just to make a long story as short as possible here. We have these dancers who got together, really come closer together and become very, very good friends because they all love the same music, the big band swing. Well, my friend Dwight Lepardis, and came out to, to this area and he wanted to learn these dances and he discovered a gentleman by the name of Maxidor and he said I want to learn from you Maxi your dance. Maxi at first did not want to teach him at all but finally Maxi said okay I will teach you $150 an hour and Dwight said okay I will learn your dance but because of the confusion of the term swing at that time 1984, 1984, when Maxie said swing, he didn't know what he meant. Do you mean swing? Or do you mean Lindy swing? So Dwight said, when you're talking about this swing here, say bow swing. If you say this, because this swing over here, the Lindy swing, was the more popular thing in the United States. We had the U.S. Swing Dance Championships, uh, which is in Orange—it's in uh, Orange County in Anaheim. I think it's still there. You know, it was last year, I believe. It's called—it wasn't called West Coast Swing yet. Not in the competition for some reason. It was just called the U.S. Open Swing Dance Championships. The dance they were doing was West Coast Swing, which obviously comes from the Lindy. And so it was Dwight Lapartis who made up the name Bow Swing. And so that's where the whole term Bow Swing comes from private lessons from Maxi Dorf. Dwight Lepardis is the one that said, Dwight, I have a friend I would like for you to meet. They would love to learn this dance as well. Maxi meets Sylvia Sykes and Jonathan Bixby. And so that's how we get to the modern times of the modern history and why Sylvia is an expert at Maxi's style of dancing. Maxi is probably one of the best dancers that ever lived. But he just didn't compete as much as people like Hal Takir or Dean Collins. And that's why his name was not as 
popular or as known because he was more of a social dancer. And his dancing, as he got older, was based more upon social dance, leading and following uh, all tempos. He was a genius dancer. And Maxi's dancing, his style was based off of this concept of more leading and following and uh, more social based. And that's really, I really can't say much more than that. Uh, I mean, obviously, I could keep going on and on, but we don't have all night. So I'd really kind of like to end it right here with this concept right here of how that started with Max. And then allow you, we have a few minutes left. If you have any questions, I'd like to answer them if possible. The Balboa dance is something completely separate from no relationship to bow swing at all, except it's from California. The goal here today, as I speak with all of you, my goal here is to not only acknowledge that these are different dances, but to bring them back to their roots, to where we all dance as original individual people, and start doing it as they did back then, incorporating different steps, however you want to incorporate them. As well, I want to enjoy this dance as well, but on its own level. So people that learn the dance today, if they want to, they can just do that if they want and be happy. I think the more people that learn these dances, the better. Because then we have more people under the same roof, paying at the front door to hear live music.